0: I want to share with you guys one of my all-time favorite companies. I'm passionate about this company. I've been using them for over three years, and they make some of the cleanest and most affordable personal care products for the entire family, personal care and wellness products. So they have herbal remedies and tinctures. They have personal care products. My husband and myself use their deodorant on a daily basis. And most recently they've launched a home care cleaning line, which we now have transitioned pretty much all of our cleaning products over to their, their cleaning products. So we use their cleaning spray and their dishwasher detergent and their laundry detergent and their dishwashing soap. And we have been so impressed with not only the quality and simplicity of their products, but also the affordability and small company family owned company experience that we get when we shop with them. So the company is earthly and they are just phenomenal. You can go shop at earthly.com and earthly is spelled E A R T H L E Y.com slash R E F slash T Alternatively, you can thank me for your checkout, um, Thank you. Thank me for your order in the checkout section and you can use the code Taylor 10 to save 10% off your first order. hello everyone welcome to the podcast i am so excited today for this episode today i am joined by dr david and amanda erickson um who are the creators of flourishing homes and families you can find them on instagram and facebook and they are um respectful gentle parenting coaches and advocates but from a Christian perspective. And so disclaimer, this episode is going to be about Christianity. It's going to be about God. So if that is not a belief system that you hold and you're not interested in listening to that, um, then here is your fair warning of that. I know that there are lots of community members who are Christian and um, I know that there are not that many resources out there, or there don't seem to be many easily accessible resources for Christian parents who want to gentle parent because there's kind of this um, idea within a lot of Christian circles that you need to spank and you need to pun- you know, use punitive um, punishment on your children. And that's really just not true. So I'm so thankful that they are joining me today to dispel some of these myths. Um, let me just tell you a little bit about Dr. David and Amanda. They are parents in the trenches just like you and me. In 2019, they launched Flourishing Homes and Families out of a heart to help parents move from overwhelmed to overflowing. They link arms with other parents to help them parent with compassion and curiosity, grace and generosity, and from a position of trust-based relationship, not religiosity. Dr. David Erickson holds a PhD in theology and is a professor of theology and church history. With more than 25 years in vocational Christian ministry, he is passionate about reclaiming a gospel-based view of parenting. Amanda is a work-from-home mama and the creative influence behind flourishing homes and families. She's passionate about mentoring and coaching parents, especially mamas, in becoming less angry and reactive so they can actually enjoy their motherhood. The Erickson's are former foster parents, infertility survivors, and are parents to seven-year-old Ezra and six-year-old Elijah. You can connect with them on Facebook and Instagram. So without further ado, let's get to this discussion. Would you mind just telling us how you got started with Flourishing Homes and Families?
1: Yeah. So, um, we started gentle parenting, um, when our oldest was like right around 15 months old, um, is when we really started to learn about gentle parenting. David is a seminary professor. He teaches theology and church history. And so as we were learning more about gentle parenting and grace-based parenting, we really started digging into, you know, what the Bible says, what church history has historically believed about children. And, um, we we started sharing like publicly on our public Facebook pages about what we were learning and why we had decided not to spank and um on like on one hand we had so much support and we had so much um so many people that were sharing our posts from our personal page because David you know he has a PhD in theology and he kind of had some street cred like people wanted to to hear from him and hear from us. But on the other hand, we got pushback, you know, from people that we are in real life community with, um, that were, you know, it's hard to hear that maybe spanking isn't what, what we always thought it was. And so we were getting some pushback. And so we, between the, having some of our posts from private pages go viral to, you know, it was impacting our relationship with people that, you know, that we know and love, we decided to start a Facebook page to share what we were learning um, that people could share publicly to help kind of protect our family and a little bit of our privacy. And then also to really try and um, love your neighbor as yourself when it comes to the people that we know in real life and just kind of honor them. Um, And we didn't want to be, you know, pushing stuff on them. We didn't want to cause friction in the relationship. So we started a Facebook page and it just exploded. Like we just shared what was on our heart. We shared what we were learning. We shared what we were studying, what, you know, tools that we were using and, um, and people resonated with it. And, you know, we came from it kind of like with a bit of expertise, you know, with David, but also in the, like, we're in the trenches and this is really hard because we're learning, you know, along with you. And it just really resonated with people. And then they like, people started asking, can you also post on Instagram? Cause I'm mostly on Instagram and I was really uh, resistant to that. I didn't want to ma- manage two social media channels. And uh-huh. finally, like, you know what, that's like where that's where a lot of young moms are. And so if that's where people are that need to hear about this, that's where we're going to go. And we just, you know, we prayed about it and we just said yes. And then, and then here we are. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: That's, that's so amazing. And I love your account. I don't remember even how I stumbled upon your account, but it wasn't that long ago. And, um, you know, my community is not, um, made up of, it's not like a, primarily Christian community I am an Orthodox Christian um, I have a lot of people in the community who are Christian but a lot of the listeners are not Christian maybe only people that are Christian um, are listening to this episode but I get asked so often you know some questions about how 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 do we do gentle parenting when we're Christian because my church leaders or my mom or my you know my friends in the church say that this is not okay and that we need to guide our children and teach our children which I don't think any of us would actually disagree with. I think that's kind of a separate conversation, um, maybe about a misunderstanding that there is only one way to teach and guide our children. Um, But can you just talk a little bit more about gentle parenting and is it biblical and why are we hearing these things as Christians that it's not biblical and that we have to spank our children and we have to use punitive, um, you know, harsh discipline with them.
2: Right. Well, I mean, kind of the, the origins of that is really just, I mean, a a handful of verses in Proverbs that I think are being kind of misinterpreted uh, or misunderstood or maybe misapplied. Um, And and that's mostly where that's coming from, because, I mean, if you look at, like, what it means to be a Christian and the ethical expectations that, you know, Jesus lays out there for his followers, that the Apostles um, articulate in in their letters. I mean, all of that is applicable to children. Like, there's no exception clause that says, "Well, you have to, you know, you have to exercise self control except towards your kids. You have to be, you know, gentle and kind except towards your kids." That that's not uh, a thing. And so, you know, for us, we we ground our concepts of gentle parenting in things like the fruit of the spirit working within parents. And the goal of a parent in any given interaction with their child is to show the fruit of the spirit and the work of God within the parent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we're modeling for them what life in Christ looks like. And that's, not the goal of a lot of you know mainstream parenting their goal is to
1: modify behavior
2: yeah pretty much (laughs) and and to gain compliance in in different things and to
1: fix it quickly because you know I I think you know when we use fear-based parenting tools it's like we're using fear to control and to modify behavior but it's because we ourselves as parents have fear and it might be you know, fear of what other people will think while our child is having a meltdown, but it also, you know, for a lot of, of Christians, there's also like a fear of, you know, is how I treat my children. Like I have to kind of instill my own theology into my parenting and, um, you know, I, I don't want to screw them up. I don't want them to turn away from God someday. So I've got to do what all of the parenting Christian parenting experts say. And most of them for what the last you know, 60 years or so have pretty strongly encouraged spanking from a very early
0: age.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. you know, I, I find it so interesting because when I think about parenting and then I think about my faith and other people's faith and kind of even just um, maybe some misunderstandings, misconceptions about religion in general, and obviously we don't have to get too deep into like theology um, because we're all from a different background and Everybody listening probably has slightly different beliefs, but I think there's a big misunderstanding from a lot of people who maybe don't even um, consider themselves Christian at this point that that Christianity is really this fear-based relationship with God. And I think that that has been really... Um, paralleled within the parenting community. And so I see this, I see these parallels between fear-based parenting and this idea that our relationship with God is, is rooted in fear. Like we're, we're, we're scared of God and what he will do to us if we misbehave. And I just feel like if we, if everybody could just understand that that's not like a true relationship with God, that's really not, that's a very simple oversimplified um, explanation of such a complex relationship and the same is true of parenting i think that maybe things would start to click a little a little bit more for for people regarding parenting and and faith and god
2: yeah because i mean well i mean fear at least within the american religious experience um fear has a pretty long history as a motivator like you need to follow christ because you're afraid of hell okay Uh it's a very has has been a very strong i'm an evangelical christian that's been a very strong part of uh evangelicalism in particular um and you're right i mean the the foundation of it all is god's love and his love for humans Mm -hmm. and i mean when he um you know when he tells the parable uh we usually call it the parable of the prodigal son It's really, you know, a a father and two sons. And, you know, when the the son who left, when the prodigal comes back, there is, you know, God depicts himself in that parable, I think, as the father. And there is no fear in coming to God, Mm -hmm. no matter how badly you have screwed up. And no matter how many people you have hurt. Um, his response to you is going to be a response of love and that's just kind of fundamental to theology and most people intellectually know that but we don't always live it out and practice it it hasn't been
0: internalized Mm -mm. yeah yeah Mm, I think that's so true Okay. So we've talked a little bit about spanking and that is probably the most common, um, I guess the most common question I get, but also the most common pushback I get when I talk about being a Christian and that I don't, um, spank my children. And I don't believe that spanking is the kindest way to treat our kids. Um, But what I will get from people is, well, there's all of these Bible verses that talk about how we're supposed to spank our children, um, you know, about the rod verses. Can you talk a little bit more about those verses and whether they actually tell us we need to be spanking our children?
2: Sure. Um, (laughs) So it's a loaded question. I I know, but let me start with this because um, a lot of people... The first time they hear, Well, I don't, I'm a Christian, I don't spank my kids. Uh, they hear, I don't discipline my kids, right? Yeah, and um, that's something you have to be aware of anytime you are entering into any kind of conversation like this is not just what you say, but what the other person is going to assume out of what you say, and um, because I mean, kids, it is unkind to children. To leave them completely undisciplined and yeah. to their own devices and unguided and unhelped, and uh, I mean that is not a, a loving approach to parenting. Yeah, and uh, and sometimes in the gentle parenting spaces, we need to say that a little bit louder uh, right. so that 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 people hear it.
1: Yeah, permissiveness can right. be as dangerous as being you know punitive and, and overly harsh with your children.
2: Yes. Right. And, and that's something that sometimes parents struggle with because like they come to the conclusion, I don't want to spank, but then they don't know what else to do. Yeah, Like mm-hmm. they don't have alternatives in, in mind. And, and, and I mean, this is where people like you, people like us and different uh, others that, you know, provide tools to people yeah. to try to kind of fill in that gap. It's not just don't spank, but you need to also Maybe consider doing this with this ch- your child and, and this with your your child. These these strategies might work, and of course, every child is different, and so you gotta adapt to the child God gave you, not the, not the ideal child that apparently is in somebody's parent parenting book. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, uh, that that was. Verses. Yeah, let's get back to <laughs> back on that. Um, so yeah, there's these um four five. Yeah. Four or, four or five verses uh in the book of proverbs that are usually when people are thinking yes the bible wants you to spank this is what they have in mind um that you know uh if 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 you if you don't use the rod on your son you you hate him uh the the one who is uh not uh, you know a son or a a young man who does not have the rod will become ashamed shame to his mother. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: Foolishness is bound up in the heart
2: of a child. Uh, but the rod will drive it far from yeah. him. And most people just assume they know what those verses are talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, they assume that, well, it's, it's talking about physically striking a child. And therefore that means the Bible endorses spanking Um, because if you can physically hit someone, then, I mean, spanking is a variant of that. Okay. Um, That's just what most people assume. And they don't really dig in uh, any further onto what is Solomon talking about in these verses? uh, What's the context of them? Uh, who is involved in, in this. Um, So I'm not quite sure how I want to go at this. Um, So we studied it. Yeah. (laughs) We
1: came, we came to the conclusion not to spank, but we had those same questions of, well, what about the rod verses? So
2: yeah. Are we being unbiblical if we don't spank our kids? Yeah. So
1: provide some context for us.
2: Okay. So um, number one, proverbs are poetry, uh, which means they're going to use Uh, some very powerful strong language beyond what maybe literal would be literally true okay that's very common Mm -hmm. in poetry Um, so we have to be aware of that if we're trying to make literal application of a poetic idea that we might be taking things too far okay Uh, the the thing that really changed it for me was actually digging into what is often translated as the word child and and who is the one being struck by the rod and actually doing a word study on this word, the word, the Hebrew word is na'ar and studying out who this is um, because, I mean, in most uh, English translations, it's just translated as child. And so how are we going to determine who a child is? Well, uh, uh, one approach you can take is the stack of Bibles approach. Like you just stack up one Bible that says "young man," another stack of Bible says "child," um, and you'll discover that most of them say "child," and a few of them uh, say "young man." Of course, if you realize most English Bibles are completely dependent on a translation from 500 years ago, and that, that's may not such a best approach.
1: And the first person to translate the Book of Proverbs could not read or speak Hebrew. the, the original, the very first English translation of proverbs was translated from german not from hebrew and the person who was, well, translating was trying it, to
2: do hebrew but he needed but, german and latin to help him yeah uh, anyway um <laughs> and then that became the base for almost all english translations to this very day um so that's not a very good approach you could look it up in the lexicon like if you're a hebrew student or something you got your you know, Hebrew, Aramaic, lexicon of the Old Testament, or whatever, you look it up, I'm like, oh, well, see, it says you can be a child, it can be a young man, it could be a servant, it could be all these different things, and so, well, it's one of the possible meanings, so it's obviously the correct meaning. Um, That doesn't always work the greatest. Um, What you got to do is, basically, if you're going to do exegesis, if you're really going to dig into what a verse means, you got to do a word study on what these words are, and, uh, I mean, and everybody that i've ever encountered hebrew scholars old testament scholars that have ever dug into uh what this words mean and and produced studies on it and have published them point out that the fundamental idea of this word is a young man someone who is leaving uh, on the way out of his father's household and away from his father's authority and is beginning to exercise independence and i mean it's it's fundamentally um, and
1: there's no English word for that. Like, no. Even adolescent doesn't explain that. Right. You know, young man or adolescent doesn't even give that much meaning. Right. Because
2: our children don't leave home at 12 or 13 or right. 14. Yeah. Um, our, our children go through teenagerhood in our houses, um, which would have been different in the ancient context of, you know, 3,000 years ago. And so it's that time period in life, the teenage years, where. I mean, let's be honest. Kids are spreading their wings and they're making decisions, but they really still need adults in their lives who are guiding them and you know uh, helping them and encouraging them and directing them because. They don't yet have the maturity to handle all of adulthood. And that was true 3,000 years ago. It's still true today, okay? And that's who Solomon is talking about. He's not talking about little kids that need to be nurtured. beaten. He's talking about these teenagers, okay, who um, need correction in, in their lives.
1: And it's still within a specific context. Oh, Yeah
2: and and, mm-hmm. and and i mean and and within the context like one of them is um use the rod so that you don't condemn your son to die okay and if if you think about that like if you go back to what was deuteronomy you know where it talks about this the disobedient rebellious child son being stoned to death mm-hmm. i mean that's the context he's talking and about
1: all of those sins things- that is stuck right in the middle of our sexual and adult sins that can like bring down an entire tribe if if they're left unaccounted for and Mm -hmm. so i just want to point that out like it's not talking about an adolescent who's out late and didn't call for their curfew like it's big adult sins
2: oh yeah um
1: that like a disrespectful son should be stoned it's like it's a big deal it's not just you know teenage angst
2: no No, and 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 so like Solomon's point is, if your son is headed down this path of destruction, right? Mm-hmm. Because I mean that's that's what sin ultimately does. It's it's it destroys. And so if your if your son, your 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 teenage son, is headed down this path that is going to lead to his destruction, that according to Torah is literally going to lead to his death. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when you need to step in. With the rod, which is not a study, do a word study on that word as well. Yeah, um,
1: it was a judiciary weapon.
2: Yeah, it's a pretty good sized stick. I yeah. mean, it's 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 not a switch or a paddle or anything like that. Like the rod is something that uh, in Exodus and and in Deuteronomy there's restrictions on how you use the rod because it is capable of killing a person Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. when used excessively and so you know what Solomon is saying is like if it's a choice between your son destroying himself through sin and his death or beating him with the rod well the loving thing to do is to beat him with the rod if Mm -hmm. those are the two alternatives okay um That is the basic idea that Solomon is putting forward. Now, um, I don't live in ancient Israel. (laughs) Um, My children are at uh, no risk of being called before the elders of our village and stoned to death uh, Mm -hmm. because of their sins. That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean there's not still destructiveness to sin. Um, And I mean... (laughs) We don't live in a world where corporal punishment is a part of ordinary life. Like in ancient world, beatings were a common part of the judicial system. They are not a part of our judicial system today. Yeah. Um, and, and, and adults were corporally punished commonly. And we've taken in all publicly. of that away like all of that has gone away in the last 200 years in our society and the only remnant we have left of this entire framework of corporal punishment is um is, is we just left a little remnant and we applied it to little kids
0: mm-hmm.
2: and, and 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 that's it. it it doesn't apply to anybody else like anybody i see saying you should spank your kids are like oh well you should spank them until they're eight or ten or you know whatever six i mean you get all kinds of ages because they're just making it up yeah um and that's not what solomon's talking about no and rod would
1: not have been used on anyone under the age of 12 or 13
2: no and
1: ancient israel had protection mm-hmm. on children to not strike them at all oh, that's interesting yeah because you know they took torah very seriously and if you teach, you know, if you strike your children, you could cause your child to sin against you by not honoring the commandment to honor your father and mother, Mm -hmm. if you strike them. And so ancient Israel was like, they protected children from that because they didn't want to cause them to sin by dishonoring their parents because their parent struck them.
0: Right. Mm, Yeah. That's yeah. That's
1: like, there's a disconnect in, you know, Christian thought when it comes to spanking, because Proverbs, I mean, we completely ignore as a culture, the, the verses about using a rod on the back of fools, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, not limited to children and nobody is going around advocating spanking adults, you know? And so there's this disconnect because as a culture, we still think we, well, we misunderstood it, but we think it applies to children, but we don't also apply it to adults. And there's just no biblical basis for that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no rationale for saying yeah. one we should apply and one we should not. Yeah. Other than just like, well, our society accepts one and our society yeah. rejects the other. Right. In which case we have made our modern society the determiner of the application of the Bible. And I that doesn't seem like a, a very good idea to me.
0: Right. Yeah. And you know, I think about just all of the other verses in the Bible that when I read them, I think the opposite, I think, oh, I need to really treat my children, especially my children to treat everybody, but especially my children, my children with love and compassion and gentleness. So can you talk a little bit about some of the, some of your favorite scripture verses that kind of shape your view of children and maybe even support gentle parenting? Yeah, I think one for. um, there's a blog post. I wish I could
1: remember who wrote it. I don't remember, but we read it very early on in our parenting. And it basically submitted that love your neighbor as yourself, um, which is a command from Jesus. Um, It like they took that verse. And then at the end of their blog post, they're like, your child is your closest neighbor. And that really shifted Mm -hmm. my own thinking about how, you know, I desire and intention to treat my children is to look at the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. And like David said earlier, like, there's not an exception for our children. Um, in Galatians six, um, you know, Paul is writing to this church that has had some conflict and there's been, you know, he's had some pretty strong words for this church. And he tells them like when somebody sins, restore one another with gentleness and we have that in the New Testament. We have it, you know, in the book of Proverbs that a gentle answer turns away wrath. And like I just see all throughout scripture that it's God's kindness that brings us to repentance. It is gentleness and compassion um, and grace that changes hearts. And, and really that's that's what we want for our own children. And what we want to help other parents do is realize like we're not just here to to stop behaviors that we don't know how to handle. We're here to to touch their hearts and to introduce them to a God of grace.
0: Yeah. And I don't know, I might've actually, I might've gotten this from your account. I can't remember, but I read somewhere from someone who is Christian and talks about gentle parenting um, that our children's relationship with us is kind of like their first um, almost like a model or their first experience with their relationship with God and who God is. And that might've been from you. I'm not sure, but that really spoke to me because I was just reflecting on my relationship with my children and how I treat them on a day-to-day basis and wondering like the way that they feel about me, the way that they think of me and how I'm going to respond to them and their sins and their, um, you know, attitudes and their misbehavior is that what I want to portray about who God is? And my answer is every day it's no, because I'm working through a lot of my own um, issues, but that just really resonated with me. I think too, when you think about Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments.
1: And like, when you think about our obedience to, to Christ is born out of gratitude and out of love and not out of fear or obligation, I mean, like don't we don't we want our children to obey us and follow us and hear what you know and consider what we are saying and and the ways in which we are guiding them because they love and trust us i mean mm-hmm. it it's fear is an effective motivator but love is more powerful and it love and grace is what changes hearts mm-hmm.
2: and fear is very short term yeah i mean that's uh, we don't have teenagers yet okay um but you see that in a lot of parents, they struggle with the teenage years because they have parented out of fear for years. And at a certain point, your kids aren't afraid of you anymore. Mm -hmm. Right, And, And there's not that connection of love and trust that has been nurtured for a decade or more than a decade.
1: Well, I think a lot of parents are, I, I don't want to say that parents who spank are not nurturing. Or oh, no, no. I think that they are, but they're, the, it's a mixed message to the child. Yes. And so the connection has been broken more often and repaired more. It's um like, I don't want to say that they don't love or nurture their children. I think no. that's an unfair statement, okay, but I, I do think, you know, when there is that you know when you're using fear along with the love and the nurturing it's very confusing to children and it you know and it doesn't set them up for later years for a trust based relationship because you know because fear has gone in and fractured the relationship over and over again.
0: Yeah. Right. And I would, yeah. And I would even say, you know, parents that are using fear um, based punishment, they're, they, they believe they're doing that. They are doing that out of love because that's what yes. they know. Um, yes. And, you know, I am definitely prone to like go back to those, those strategies too, because that's what I was raised with. And it takes so much conscious effort. Like it is exhausting to get through the day. Um, and I don't ever get through a day without raising my voice once or using something fear-based because it's just so, you know, it's just something I think so many of us are really struggling with when we've been parented so differently. But I think most parents do have really good intentions and love their kids and they're parenting that way because they have been taught that that is how you love your children. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So you talked a little bit earlier about, um, punishment versus discipline and how, you know, there's this misconception that if you're not spanking your child or you're not, you know, using punitive or separation-based discipline um, or punishment, I should say, that you are not disciplining your child. And that is where I think we lose a lot of people before they really dive into the gentle parenting world. Um, Can you talk about what what the difference is between discipline and punishment and maybe even give some examples?
2: Well, I mean, at the level of, like, principle the idea of discipline is to teach and to train so if i am disciplining my child it is because there there has been a problem and they need to learn how to handle that better in the future okay um and and i mean a lot of people they think of discipline just in the context, and maybe I just did it when I said that, just in the context of misbehavior, okay? Um, But really our discipline of our children should be, not necessarily constant, but a consistent part of life. So, you know, when you have a two and three-year-old and you're teaching them how to pick up their toys, Okay, Mm -hmm. that is that is a form of discipline It is a it is a form of of teaching when they are melting down at five years old and you're teaching them, you know, to breathe and, you know, to to try to to begin to self-regulate. That is a a form of of discipline. Uh, So there's a very positive aspect of we just have to teach our kids.
1: And we know this about all other parts of childhood. Like we know that our children need to learn how to walk, how to ride a bike, how to, you know, jump rope, how to do math, how to write their name. Like we understand that this is a process and we have to be an active part in teaching and training our children in these things. But when it comes to behavior, you know, as a culture, we don't take that same approach, like that behavior is learned in our children, just like, you know, our a very, you know, very young toddler, older infant might be able to pull up and stand up. It's going to be months and months before they're able to walk independently. And it's going to be even longer before they're able to run. And it's going to be even longer before they're able to, you know, carry a a little sibling while they're walking you know these are things that build on each other and we don't think of behavior as that and when you switch that behavior needs to be taught um and that children need to learn how to engage in you know in life (laughs) when they have big feelings or when there is conflict you know they need to learn conflict resolution when you when you make that mindset switch you realize like my my child is just still learning. I need to coach them through this. I need to Mm -hmm. disciple them through these situations instead of, you know, he threw a ball in the house after I told him not to. And so I'm going to go punish him. You know, we, we switch our mindset to teaching and training for the future instead of, you know, punishing them and making them feel bad because of something that has already happened.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I actually, I say something similar a lot in terms of sleep. And I think you're right that so with sleep, you know, um, I advocate against sleep training. And for some reason, within our culture, there is this idea that sleep just babies and children should just know how to sleep by themselves. They should know how to calm themselves down when they're crying. And let's just train them by leaving them alone in a room. Um, But pretty much no other aspect of development would we do that with them. We wouldn't leave them alone on the toilet when they're a baby and say, well, you need to just learn to go potty. Um, We wouldn't (laughs) sit sit an infant at the table with their first bowl of food and a spoon and make them expect them to be able to feed themselves. We first do it for them. We do it with them and they slowly take on more and more of that responsibility over time as is developmentally appropriate and it all happens within the context of relationship development happens through relationship and I think for some reason, we don't view it that way when we're talking about sleep and behavior and any form of emotional regulation. Um, (laughs) And it's so interesting because we don't, we don't think twice about teaching. Like you said, we don't think twice about teaching our kids to ride their bike or to um, use the bathroom or, or any of that or get dressed or whatever. We expect that we're going to be doing a large part of that when they're young. And then over time, they'll take on the responsibility as they can. Um, So, yeah, I think that's so fascinating to me. I, I wonder what your thoughts are, because one of the other like kind of pushbacks I get in the Christian world when we talk about gentle parenting is that we like the gentle parenting world kind of makes kids a slave to their emotions and that um we're because we're validating and accepting emotions we aren't teaching them how to not be a slave to their emotions and how to not respond and i would argue that that's not true because i think first this is just my view and i'm interested to hear yours i think first in order to not be a slave to your emotions and your passions you have to first understand them and accept that we have them and God obviously didn't create young children to be able to self-regulate. And I think that's for a reason. I don't think that he made a mistake in development. Um, But I would think that, you know, just my perspective as somebody who wasn't raised with a lot of co-regulation and who was, you know, my parents did use a lot of punitive, harsh discipline. My emotions weren't allowed. I now, as an adult, have a harder time with being a slave to my emotions because I don't have a lot of good self-regulation skills as an adult. It's something that I've had to learn as an adult because I didn't learn them as a child. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that.
1: Yeah, I think that there's, I agree with what you said. Um, And there are so many layers to, you know, to that besides really misunderstanding how children regulate or not knowing at all how children regulate. Um, But also, you know, validating emotions does not mean that, you know, we have a two-year-old who's, you know, just pummeling his brother because his brother knocked down his Lego creation or whatever, you know, Duplo mm. creation. And we're like, oh, your feelings are so valid. And also it's okay to keep hitting your brother because you're angry. I mean, that is not General parenting. And if we are not stepping in and saying like, you know what, it is okay to be angry. I understand. I would be frustrated too. I'm going to hold you to keep everyone safe. And then, um, you know, a lot of times when we're talking about how to respond to children when they have big emotions, we do, I, I think, um, influencers and thinkers in this, in this, um, area, we do kind of put off that the training on what to do next time generally happens once the child is completely regulated. So in that moment, Mm -hmm. we are co-regulating with them. We are teaching them how to calm down. We are teaching them, um, you know, letting them listen to our deep breaths, how to take deep breaths Mm -hmm down from 10, whatever, you know, whatever strategies are working for our children in that, in that moment, um, the, the teaching on what to do next time it happens after they've regulated. And so, you know, and, and it takes practice. I mean, you, you've already said, I've been pretty transparent too, on, on Instagram, you know, as, as parents who were parented, we as children were parented punitively. And so we are having to relearn, a lot of things, it takes us time and practice. And every single day we mess up and we make mistakes. Well, our children are going to take time to learn as well. And Mm -hmm. so that teaching of how to cope with their feelings, um, when you're angry next time you can, you know, you can do this with your hands. And I think for me, that was something that I had to really sit down and strategize. Like, what do I want to teach? I have we have one little boy who's very physical and he would get angry and he would just start you know punching and hitting and you know he's making a fist before he even thinks about it and um you know children young children don't have a lot of impulse control but i had to help coach him and teach him what to do once you make that fist instead of punching your brother or punching the door or whatever you've made that fist you feel that tension in your fist what are you going to do? And if you pay attention to that and squeeze it as hard as you can, um, you know, until your knuckles are white and then let it go really, really slowly, you're going to feel the anger, leave your hand, you know, well, you and I know we've just squeezed our fist so strongly that it's cutting off a little bit of blood supply to the fingertips. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, but like they can physically feel that, that stress and that tension leaving their hand. And that gives them a tool next time when I'm angry, I'm going to still make that fist because it happens before I can think about it. But if I can remind myself to think about it, you know, and then let that, let that anger come out and then go, go ask for help, take a step back and ask for help. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it takes them time. They, they've got to practice that when they're not angry, um, you know, kind of role play with them and practice through those scenarios. And then they're going to get some real, real-time practice when something goes sideways and sometimes they're going to remember to do it and sometimes they're not and just reinforcing like it's okay to be angry the next time you're angry you know here's what you can do instead here's how to handle it next time and come come get help
2: yeah i mean you're pointing out one of the key things about helping our kids is uh, we tend to get focused on what we don't want them to do right because we can see that really obviously right and we forget, like, okay, but what do I want them to do, right? Mm-hmm. We've gone through this experience, and, but what, what do I want my child to be able to do next time? And how do I articulate to that, that to them? And how do I help them get there? Um, because, you know, as long as we're just focused on stopping the things we don't want to see happen, we're not actually disciplining them because we're not teaching them what they need to do. We're just hoping mm-hmm. they figure it out on their own. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, they might eventually get there, but it'd be a lot better. <laughs> they
1: might be 30 years old before they do.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, I, I think... I mean, I love what you're saying. I totally agree. It's so hard. It's so, so hard, Um, especially when you're just starting off. I feel I've been doing this, you know, I really dabbled into like gentle parenting. My daughter's four and a half. So when she was a baby, but really didn't start practicing, obviously I didn't need to really practice too much until she got into those toddler years. So maybe three years. Um, And I still feel like I'm a total newbie because it's just, you have to rewire your brain. And, but I think of this, you know, in terms of, modeling, modeling to my children, how I want them to act when they're having big emotions, how what the things I want them to do is probably the most important thing. Like, how can I expect I'm getting upset with my daughter because she's yelling at me because she's angry, but how on earth can I expect her as a four-year-old to not yell at me when she's angry, when I can barely not yell at her when I'm angry at her. Um, so it's just so interesting. I think that's probably also one of the most like neglected aspects of of discipline is, and, and gentle parenting in general is modeling our behavior alone will help them know how to act. And if we're yelling and flying off the cuff and, you know, just getting so upset, then of course they will too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think too, when you, when you really are future focused on teaching and training them what to do, um, you know, next time, how to do differently or better next time, it really puts into perspective how, ineffective and unnecessary punishments are. Because Mm -hmm. if you're doing the teaching and the training on what to do next time, and you're modeling, you know, the behavior you want to see, there's no need for punishments, right? Like you're teaching them. Punishments are just completely unnecessary at that point. But if you aren't doing that and all you're using is punishment, they're completely ineffective because they're not teaching them what Mm -hmm. to do. It's just telling them you're in trouble for what you just did and not equipping them and empowering them to do different next time. And so, you know, when you really become future focused, it really does put into perspective, like punishments are either unnecessary or ineffective and either way we can just let them go.
0: Right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, okay. So I've talked a little bit we, I think we've both talked a little bit about like triggers and, and parents who have been, um, you know, who were raised with this punitive punishment and spanking and all of that. Do you have any like quick tips? I know nothing's really quick with this, but any, (laughs) any tips for parents like me who really want to do things differently for their children, but just, it's almost like they're having a really hard time managing their own impulses and being able to regulate themselves because they're just finding themselves so triggered by their, their child's actions or behavior.
1: Yeah, I think there's um, there's a couple of things that can really help our mindset, and this was this was my story because I used to be just super reactive and angry and like yelling at my you know yelling at my kids and dragging them off to their room even though I knew I wasn't going to spank them just still Mm -hmm. like very big and very dominating, Um, and I've I've had to work through exactly like what you have described of working through you know how you were parented, and one thing that I I really recognized um, is that. One of the reasons we're triggered by our, our children's behavior is because when we behaved that way, we felt unsafe. And whether that was because we were yelled at, or because we were spanked, or because we were threatened with the spanking, um, for whatever reason, when we, you know, were disrespectful or disobedient or whiny or whatever the behaviors are that trigger us, um, we were we perceived a threat. Um, Mm -hmm. as children. And so those behaviors now in our brain are wired to be unsafe. So when we see that behavior in our child, we have a threat response happening in our brain, right? And our brain is like fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And our brain is like, got to protect myself. I've got to get into protective mode. And it just kind of takes over. Um, so number one, like be aware it's what we believe about the behavior and not the behavior itself that is triggering us. So we can, really reshape and retrain our brain to understand behavior differently and it takes time okay for you know for david and me we had you know 32 years well i guess from birth but we had you know 30 years of what we believed about behavior that had had kind of been trained into our thinking and it takes time to reverse that and to unlearn it and to replace it with new understanding of behavior Um, And then the other thing is just like with our kids, we have to tell them and teach them what to do differently or better next time. We need as parents, like, it's not enough to just be like, okay, don't yell at my kids but like what behaviors are triggering to me specifically? Okay. How do I want to respond? So for me, my biggest one was when my boys were toddlers and one of them started to hurt each other or someone had just gotten hurt. Like my mama bear just came out and I was like ragey and it didn't matter that it was my own child that had done the hurting. Like I'm going to protect the one that just got hurt. And, um, and I had like, I literally wrote down a script of how I wanted to respond. I wrote it on a flashcard. I put it in my, um, I put it in my, like on the mirror in my bathroom, I recorded myself on a, on a voice recorder app on my phone. And I just listened and practiced over and over and over again. This is how I want to respond when, when I'm upset by the, you know, when I'm triggered by this behavior. And for then it was the the fighting, um, and somebody getting hurt. Like this is the response that I want to have. This is the gentle and grace-filled and, um, teaching and training response that I want to have. And so I, I, you know, outside of the situation. I wrote down what I wanted to do and I practiced it and practiced it. And when that, you know, real life opportunity to practice came, like I absolutely gritted teeth. Like I am reciting a script because I memorized it and inside I'm about to like explode, but I am, you know, I'm not dragging my kid off this time. Um, you know, and now what, four or five years later, you know, when our kids are fighting and somebody gets hurt, like the response that I wrote on that note card all those years ago is still the, it's my intuitive, instinctive response. And I know like they are hurt and I want to, um, I want to address the situation, but I do not come out like fight, fight, or freeze mode, you know, ready to just tear somebody limb to limb because my child got hurt. Like I come out calm and truly come out calm and regulated and like, all right, let's, let's find out what happened. There's a story here to tell. Can somebody tell me what happened? And you know, if somebody is very hurt, obviously address the physical hurt beforehand. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's their feelings are more hurt, hurt than their body. Cause my boys are a little bit older now and they do have some impulse control now.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to those years. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like knowing what, how you want to respond and, and just scripting it out and practicing it, it that it's a powerful tool. And it will retrain your brain. And at some point in time, you will, you know, you'll go out and you'll be in the situation that used to just, you know, cause you to feel threatened and scared and angry or whatever. And you're gonna step in and it's gonna be an automatic response and you're gonna respond gently. And you're gonna be like, I did it. Like all of that work, I finally did it. And it will truly be your new
0: like gut reaction and gut response. That's such a good tip. And I I think I need to try that more because I have found that, and this is like my, my tip, I guess, but also I'm still struggling with it myself. I have found that like, I'll listen to all of the parenting podcasts and beyond the parenting Instagrams, and I'll have all of this amazing information and all of these tips. And then I'll go with, you know, interacting with my children. And I just, it's too much for me. It's also overwhelming and I can't actually implement any of it. And so what I've started trying to do more often is just picking like one thing, like during the day that I can really work on. So one of my things that I'm always working on is trying not to be so reactive and not like yelling immediately and lowering the tone of my voice, softening the tone of my voice, softening my gaze. And even if that means that like, I'm not saying anything for a couple of minutes, that to me is better than screaming. I don't have to know exactly the right thing to say right now i just want to work on not screaming um or like i'll just pick one specific situation that I've been, you know, hearing about in, in the parenting podcast I listen to. Um, and I want to see if I can implement that at some point today, rather than like trying to do it all, because you're, what you're yeah. describing and what we've been talking about, like this does take a lot of effort for a lot of us. And it's not something that we can just jump right into without getting burnt out. Um, and so if you're trying to do everything and change everything at one time, you're probably going to feel like it's impossible.
1: Right. And, you know, if you're putting that expectation on yourself too, you're probably still putting that expectation on your child to like Mm. get it all right. If you're, if we're expecting to get it all right and have this, you know, level of mastery, that is an unrealistic expectation of ourselves. And we are probably imposing that on our children as well. It takes time and we can be compassionate with ourselves because we are compassionate with our children. And we can be compassionate with our children because we're
0: compassionate with ourselves. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Oh man, this was so good. I could keep talking to y'all for hours. Um, but maybe we'll have to ha- have you on the podcast again, but can you tell us, um, what resources, if any, you have for parents and where they can find you if they want to learn more from you? Yeah. So on Facebook
1: and Instagram, we're at flourishing homes and families, and we do have, we have a few, um, like, t- um, one hour webinars that we have, I have one on parenting triggers. So I kind of did a deep dive, um, on really understanding you know, really talking a lot more about, about triggers and what's going on sort of underneath. Um, and so I have that webinar. David has one on the, you know, really going in depth to the rod versus and understanding, you know, several of the Hebrew words in Proverbs and, and in the book of Hebrews as well in the new Testament. And then David has a webinar on parenting with Christ at the center. And all of those are um, under the deep dive tab on shop flourishing
0: Amazing. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. I learned a lot from you. I found it really inspiring and helpful and I'm sure everybody listening will um, will as well. Thank you so much, Taylor, for inviting us. Yes, thank you. I wanted to take a moment to tell you guys about my favorite baby food brand. So I actually don't buy a lot of baby food and I don't use it a lot, but I do like to have some baby food, some pouches on hand just for those moments where I feel like I need something convenient or I need to just throw something in my diaper bag and go. So my favorite baby food brand, and really the only one we use now, is Serenity Kids. The reason that I love Serenity Kids so much is because they focus on nutrient-dense foods, such as pasture and grass-fed meat and organic vegetables. So I know that the quality is amazing, and I feel safe and confident feeding it to my baby. You can go to MySerenityKids.com and use the code TAYLORKULIK15 at checkout to save 15% off your order.